Welcome back to Fasten Like Nails, brought to you by Lamplighter Ministries, a broadcast that brings hope and invites insight on the topics of marriage, parenting, character development, and career excellence. Let's listen in. I have something that I know works 100% of the time, always works. Whenever in doubt, use this, love. Love, the Bible says, never fails. Never, not one time has love ever failed. Every time I've had a conflict, even though in my flesh, I want the other person to admit their wrong and at least give me some sense that they have acknowledged their fault. You know, that's, that's because I've not allowed God to be the one to deal with them. I want to be a little bit of God myself. You know, I want that person to bow down to me a little bit. But when I release that and I love that other person, love never fails. Love believes all things, hopes all things. I got a warrant for my arrest a few weeks ago. I didn't tell you this before because I didn't think you'd want me to be here if you knew I got a warrant for my arrest. And I thought, I kept reading it over and over again. And sure enough, it was a legitimate warrant for my arrest. In fact, the next day on Friday, they were coming to pick me up. And I was like, this is like a nightmare. This can't be true. And so I, I read it again. And my daughter, and I have my name on her registration for her car so she can get her insurance. But she wanted to own the car. And so we have both our names on the registration. So I, um, apparently, as I was reading it, she didn't pay a parking ticket a year ago. And they've been sent her six letters. And she's not paid it. Um, my older son may be disrespectful and disobedient, but he's responsible. <laughs> my daughter is respectful and obedient, and she's irresponsible. I'm getting ready to go speak at a conference, and I'm looking that I'm going to be in jail. I have a prison ministry, by the way, on Tuesday and Wednesdays. You know? I don't want to be in the ministry there. I want to be the one doing the ministry. And, um, and so I... I'm looking at this, and, I'm, and I prayed. I said, Lord, you, you need to help me with this because obviously my daughter needs to learn something. Now, my first reaction was, was a fear reaction. It's interesting. If, if there's a fear reaction, guess what that's, a, that's evidence of? That you love yourself more than you love somebody else. Okay? Perfect love casts out fear. Okay? If there's a fear reaction, now I'm not talking about that there's a natural fear reaction of, against, you know, against harm. That's normal. God's given you that. That produces adrenaline to protect yourself. Those are normal things. But in relationships, if there's a fear response, that's evidence that we love ourselves more than we love the other person. Because perfect love casts out fear. Now, so I went into the house. My daughter happened to be there. She's 20 years old. Um, no, she's 22 years old. And... Um, she, she doesn't live at home anymore. She, she works for me full-time. She has her apartment in the city, and she um, comes. She's at our house every day, and her and my wife are on the couch, and they're talking. They paint together. They have a wonderful... In fact, the catalog that you have in your hands, my daughter painted all of those illustrations in there. The front cover, everything she did is done by her by hand. She's an incredible artist. So I walk in the house, and I have this paper, and I said, Jennifer, did you not pay a parking ticket? She said, no. I said, well... There's a warrant for our arrest. Tomorrow they're going to come and pick up both you and me and put us in jail unless you pay this. She said, yeah, right. I said, no, really. I said, um, this says there's a warrant for arrest and it says you didn't pay a parking ticket. And you didn't pay a parking ticket a year ago in June. She said, Dad, I paid that. I said, no, no, you, you didn't pay it. I said, because this says you didn't pay it. She says, no, Dad, I, I paid that ticket. I said, Jennifer, 
The problem is, is that you're never willing to admit wrong. You know, you get into situations like that, and the first thing you do is you say, I'm not guilty. Jennifer, they don't make mistakes like this. You didn't pay this ticket. You may have gotten other tickets that you're not aware of, but you didn't pay this ticket, and it's a clear sign of your irresponsibility, and I want you to start waking up. You know, I'm getting a little upset because she's not admitting wrong. I I hate when other people don't admit wrong, especially when I'm the judge. (laughs) Brother, you know, I should be a judge. I would make a great judge. You know, I just would. And so my wife, she's sitting on the couch with her, and my wife starts to to move in more of an erect position. I call it an attack position. But I'm in the right, so now I've, I, I know I'm right, so I can, I can be a little bit more forceful. I said, Jennifer, you didn't pay the ticket. And she looked at me, and she said, read my lips. I paid it. I said, that's it. I said, not only are you irresponsible, I said, you're never willing to admit wrong. Until, until you get this settled in your life, Jennifer, you're going to have problems all the rest of your life. And you know what, Jennifer? I'm not going to pay this for you. They're going to come and pick you up tomorrow. And I said, if I got to bear, and the real problem is, Jennifer, you know what this is doing? Your irresponsibility is not only affecting you, it's affecting me. Do you realize I might not be able to speak at conferences? Because if I end up with, a, with an arrest record, that could um, forfeit me from speaking at other places. Do you see what I'm doing right now? Protecting me. This is all about me. This is what really, because I've been offended. This is about my character. And she just was now like, you know, like fuming. And my wife now, she starts to get involved. And, and I said, and that, and before she said a word, and I said, and you always back her. That's why she's like she is. She's never willing to admit wrong because you don't help her out to understand how wrong she is. And I said, I'm leaving. I'm not doing this anymore. And so I just walked out of the house and, and I took the paper with me because I'm going to pay this thing. You know, she's not going to pay it. I called up on the phone, the number that was listed there. And I said, ma'am, I said, you know, I'll, I'll bring the check right down. You know, how much is the check for and so forth? And she says, can you give me that number again? And I gave it to her, and she said, sir, there's been some kind of mistake. This, this ticket was paid for. I said, no, no, that's impossible. Just check it again, please. She said, she said sir, things like this don't usually happen. She said, but it, it was paid. It was paid over a year ago. I said, ma'am, I said, please just check it again. It's, it can't be paid. She said, I'm sorry, it, it was paid. And I said, he did it again. She said, who, who might that be, sir? I said, the Lord. The Lord sets me up like this all the time, puts me in positions like this. And God does this to my life. He keeps raising the bar. To, you know, I, I thought that anger and all those things were totally out of my life. I teach on these things. But when it came to really put me in a corner where I could be arrested, that made the real Mark Hamby really come out. How do we respond when we're put in positions like that? Psalm 119 goes on to say, before I was afflicted, I went astray, Whoops. but now I keep your word. The purpose of God allowing affliction to come into our life is very simple. He wants us to be able to trust his word. Um, and and if, if the affliction does not cause us to go deeply into his word, then you're missing the opportunity because that's when he really opens the door for us to. And you know want to know where I, I think you should go mostly? I, I love going in the book of Psalms. Psalms, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, oh, they're just filled with so much insight into David crying out, help me, oh God. You know, I went through an affliction that lasted 13 years, chronic fatigue, colitis, depression, and fibromyalgia. And um, I didn't know why I had those things, you know, and it was because there was a, an anger deep within me that was a uh, control deep within me that, that 
no one realized, and I didn't realize. Here I was successful as a pastor, successful as a speaker, but on the inside, you know where my problem was? was in my home. My family wasn't following me, and it, and it, it churned my insides. And because of that, it started to wear me out physically. It wore my health out. That I might learn your statutes. I know, Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I'm telling you, listen to this. I, I shared this a few weeks ago and this lady came up to me and she pointed at me and she said, that is not true. God does not do things like this. He does. God afflicts us. In fact, in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, it says that he causes grief but not willingly. He causes grief because he loves us. That's why God allows grief to come into our lives because he wants us to learn to trust him. And the only way that's going to happen is if it moves you into his word to get used to his promises. Now, his grace will be sufficient, but it doesn't come quickly. You know, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy to find grace to help in the time of need. That phrase in the Greek, to help in the time of need, you know what that literally means? In the nick of time. God doesn't always just rescue you just like that. You know, just because you've prayed and had a heart change doesn't mean that the circumstances are going to get better right then and there. But they will eventually. You just trust God. He will. He will rescue you. You know, this is interesting. Sometimes we're in that state and we say, Lord, I'm going to wait. My eyes fail with longing for your word. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I've become like a wineskin in the smoke, I don't forget your statutes. I, one day, was sitting in the stalls with the sheep in this muck, and that was during the time that I was at my sickest point, and I just said, Lord, it's over with. You know, if, I, if this is where you want me to serve you, then I will serve you here. If all I'm going to do for the rest of my life is muck stalls, I'll do that. And I'll never forget, there was a change. I had a meeting with God that day when I surrendered, finally surrendered. It was over with. I wasn't going to try to control my family anymore. I was going to be an instrument of change in their lives. You want to know what I had to do with my daughter when I got that phone call, when I called that lady? I had to walk into my house on my knees. And you want to know what my daughter did when I humbly apologized? She did not receive it. No, not for a second, because I've done it too many times. And so I am now got to, there's got to be a genuine life change in my life where my life speaks louder than my words. And, and how do you handle when people resist, when people don't accept when you say you're sorry? How do you respond? That's the real test. Is it genuine in your life? It says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's, it takes us into the word. It, 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 it it uncovers, it, it, it actually it covers us. It gives us sustenance and strength. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. You're, you're familiar with this. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord. Isn't it interesting? We quote this verse, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path, but we never quote the next part of it. I, I am severely afflicted. That's why he says, I, I, need your, I need your word as a lamp to my feet because I don't know where I'm going. Give me life, Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. How do you give offerings of praise when you're afflicted? Not an easy thing. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Look at this. Psalm 119 is just pregnant with this. I hope in your word. It's my only hope. Hope makes us not ashamed. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I might know your testimonies. You're familiar with Psalm 19. It says, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. 
You guys familiar with that? It's a song too, right, Jeff? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Beautiful song. I used to love to sing that verse. It's it's lodged in my heart now because I'm able to sing the word. Interesting verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, converts the soul. That's the first thing that happens to us. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. You want to know what that is? The word sure there is the word for trustworthy. It's also the word for, guess what? It's the word for foster home. It's also the word for a nursing father. I can understand a nursing mother, but a nursing father? That's what the word means. It means that my testimonies, God's testimonies, what are his testimonies? That he loves us, that he's faithful to us, He'll not give us more than we can handle. He'll, he'll, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Those are God's testimonies. They're sure. He's like a nursing father. They make wise the simple. They, they turn us in. They give us hope. They give us comfort and, and assurance. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, God. Now, I'm showing you this because we're going to go into Jonah. This is what Jonah was going through. He was like, Take my life. I can't stand this anymore. But there was a problem. Jonah didn't connect his afflictions with the word and with the promises of God. I will call to you, save me, that I might observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. That is our only hope. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Look at this, how many times. The word, the word, the word. Folks, it is, the, it is, it is our sustenance and our strength. It's got to move you there. And I'm finding today what's, where people are being moved to are lawyers' offices. People are being moved to psychiatrists and psychologists and in every other place under the sun. Save your money. The Word of God is the greatest counsel in the world. In fact, if you've got problems with 10 to 18-year-old children, Lamentations chapter 3 says it all. You know, that's the greatest counsel you'll ever find in your life. You know, then there um, he says that um, I, I feel like I'm being dragged through the mire like stones coming in my mouth. You know, why does God allow these things? And God says, for one reason and one reason only, so that you will understand my mercy and my compassion to give you hope. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. I do not forget your commandments. Now, as we go into Jonah, I want you to just remember what Jonah failed to do. And when, when you go the other direction, like Jonah did, everything seems bigger than they are. Dennis Rainey came up with this acronym, HALT. If you're hungry, I also added hormonal. Hungry, hormonal, <laughs> afraid, angry, lonely, or tired, things will look bigger than they are. Don't make decisions when you're in any of these states. And you know how many times we make decisions? Usually it's in those states. You know, I'm leaving. I, you know, I'm going to... I hate, you know, we say things when we're in that state. Don't do anything because in the morning, God's compassion is new, okay? It's it's kind of a cool thing. Think about that. God's compassion is new every morning. Are you familiar with the verse that says His mercy is new and fresh every morning? That's not in the Bible. Someone made that up and turned it into a song, but that's not what the Scripture really says. The Scripture says 
It's because of His mercies we're not consumed. His compassion is new every morning. And so if His compassion is new every morning, wait till the next morning before you make decisions because God just might make you think differently about the whole situation, situations in which you think there's no tomorrow. I've been there before. I've been in those no tomorrow decisions. Um, And almost always it's been in my relationship between me and my wife, sometimes with me and my son, where finally I've had to go out and just cry out to God and say, God, if you don't change her, I can't take this anymore. And you want to know what? God's never changed her once. (laughs) No, God wants to change me so that I can be an instrument of grace into her life because that's what I've been called to. That's what marriage is all about. Marriage isn't about fantasies and all of that. Marriage is about being changed into the image of Christ. That's why he's given us this. Did you know that whom the Lord has joined together that no man is to separate? Did you know that? How many have heard that before? Does that mean that God joins us together? Whom the Lord joins together. Does that really mean that? That means that God's responsible for bringing us together? Absolutely. And I wouldn't take that lightly because God's, if the, either God made a mistake and sometimes that's what happens. We get married and all of a sudden things start going bad and we think that, you know, this is not working. God causes affliction. God causes grief, not willingly, but in order to change us. And mostly he does it in our marriages. And sometimes if the marriage is going well, he'll do it with our children. And if the children are going well and the marriage is going well, he's going to do it with your job or your health. He's going to change you in some way. It's not going to just happen, you know, where you're going to go through life and things are just going to be, you know, peachy all the time. Be not hasty in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Don't be, ang- don't be hasty. David and Goliath. Good job. Did you know that Goliath appears twice and David and Saul appear 131 times in that same two chapters? Two chapters, 131 times. But Goliath appears twice. And we've made it a story of David and Goliath. God made it a story of David and Saul, of faith and flesh. But we've made it a story of the big giant so that we can do flannel graph stories with kids. You know? Okay? Jonah and the? The whale appears twice. But the cows? The cows appear throughout the book of Jonah. It's the story of Jonah and the cows. Did you know that? And you're thinking, oh, come on. I've never seen cows in the book of Jonah. Oh, really? Well, if you got your Bibles, turn to the last word in the book of Jonah. It's a very unusual word. If you got the NIV version, we're going to have a burning afterwards anyways because that one totally blew it. They just didn't put the right word in whatsoever. But the Hebrew word, okay, if, I'll tell you what. If you got an NIV, read the last word, city, right? City? Anyone else got an NIV? City? Okay. I got, anyone got a New American Standard Version? What does it say? Animals. Animals. How about a King James Version? Cattle. Cattle. Cool. How about an um, English Standard Version? English Standard Version, I have one. It says cattle. New Living? Cattle. cattle. Good job. So we've got three English versions that say cattle or animals and one English version that says city. The question is, how do you respond when God asks you to do something uncomfortable? Because that's what he's asking Jonah to do. Listen to this. It says in the last verse, And should not I spare Nineveh, the great city, where are more than six score thousand persons of 120,000? They can't discern between their left hand and their right hand, and also much cattle? This is so obscure. Out of the middle of nowhere, the book of Jonah ends with this, and, men, and much cattle? 
and a question mark too. How many agree that this is weird? Okay, this is weird. This is, this is out of the middle of nowhere. This is about Jonah's anger not following God's call to go and preach to the Ninevites. And there's a great revival that takes place. And the book of Jonah ends with, and much cattle. It's weird. The question is, why? Oh, when I find stuff like this in the Word of God, remember we talked about the hope is in the Word? And the, Jonah missed it. Jonah missed it to the very last word that God gave him. When God does weird things like this, you've got to just kind of say, okay, Let's find out what's going on here. What's, what's, what's the deal here? God said to Jonah in the very beginning, do you have, well, this is just before, do you have good reason to be angry? This is about anger. The, book, the word anger is throughout the book of Jonah. And Jonah says, yeah, I have good reason to be angry. I'd even want to be dead. Boy, when your anger leads to this kind of suicidal depression, you know, you're in deep trouble. And this is what happened to Jonah. I wish I was even dead. There's four main causes of anger. Fear, frustration, hurt, and selfishness. Perfect love casts out fear. Frustration, another cause of anger. Uh, my son David, three weeks ago, um, I, we built a new home about six years ago, and one of my pride and joys in my home is the woodwork that we have. I have a, a, a staircase that um, is wide at the, at the bottom, and it goes up to the top and swerves around, and I've got wood paneling. I've got um, quarter sawn oak. And um, it's, this paneling was done by the Carriage Barn Antique Shop. I mean, I went all out with it. I love this woodwork. We have sapili. Sapili comes from Africa. It's the most beautiful wood I've ever seen. It's like mahogany and cherry mixed together. And so I love my woodworks. I just love it. And David, one day, and my son Jonathan, when they were moving his stuff out, of, they, I wasn't home. And now I've got these marks up my stairway in this woodwork. They're bringing their, their barbells down there. And so David wanted to, he's got a chair in his room, he wanted to take it to, he's in college now, and he wanted to take his reclining chair over to the college. And I said, well, that'd be fine, but you wait until I help you take it down. He says, what's the big deal? He says, I can take it down. I said, no, I don't want you taking it down. I'll be here when you do it. He said, dad, what's the big deal? I said, the big deal is that I don't trust you. I said, you already dented the wood. He said, I didn't dent that, John. I said, I don't care who did it. I don't want you doing it yourself. And so he's looking at me like, and I said, I don't want, and I had to get, I had to get a little bit raise the level a little bit so he backed down. You never need to raise, the, if you're raising the level for other people to back down, you've already lost their respect. I could have said in a very meek tone, David, I understand. In fact, you know what? I will, I will go out of my way to help you as soon as I can. And maybe what I needed to do was to help him right then and put my other things aside and really be a servant. You know, because what I was doing was protecting one of my idols, Whenever we act that way, one of the things that we do is we're protecting our own idolatry. And we do that so often. Moms tend to do that when they're perfectionistic in their homes and their children make a little bit of a mess. You know, they start being on their kids' cases and always in their face. Frustration. Frustration. And so David was frustrated and he couldn't even enjoy his dad because I protected my idols more than the relationship. When we place rela responsibility above relationship, it always leads to frustration. Remember that. When we place responsibility above relationship, it always leads to frustration. Does that mean that we don't hold, hold our kids accountable? Does that mean that we don't have our kids be responsible? Absolutely not. It's how we speak about it. We need to model for them how we want them to become. When we provoke our children in your face, parenting, always in their face, no breathing room, 
You know, it's not, our words are not going to change our children's hearts. God's Holy Spirit is going to change our children's hearts, especially when they see us modeling how we want them to become. That's the key. They'll, do, they'll be responsible when we become whom we're to become. Thank you for tuning in to Fastened Like Nails. Our mission as a nonprofit is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. Your prayers are essential and your gifts are tax deductible. Visit lamplighter.net slash podcast to listen to other episodes. Until next time, God bless. Lamplighter Theater launches its biggest production yet. You might even call it Giant. <laughs> Presenting the Giant Killer. Join Fidus in his fight against the giants of sloth and selfishness, pride, untruth, and hate. Fidus needs wisdom. Stay firm in the faith. And a special weapon. The sword of the spirit. And so will you. A must listen for your family to conquer the giants in your life. To order the Giant Killer, go to lamplighter.net. Lamplighter.net.